Welcome to Created for Connection, a podcast that explores the way we become isolated from one another, but how God moves us toward connection with Him and with each other. In today's episode, we interview Kevin Vance, Canadian church planner and former college president. We'll hear Kevin's story of wrestling with depression and the ways he's found healing through God's providential connections in his life. We'll talk about the conflict that sometimes occurs around mental health in our churches. For anyone who's struggling with mental health in your place in life, we hope Kevin Vance's story will be an encouragement for you. Hey, welcome to Creative for Connection. I'm your host, Paul McMullen, and I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Shelby. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I am really excited about the the guy that we're interviewing today for two reasons. One, he and I have the same name. So Kevin Vance is our is the person that we're interviewing. And I'm interested to see how confusing it's going to be as we're we're addressing the Kevins on the on the meeting today. But the other thing that I'm even more excited about is that Kevin lives in Saskatchewan and has invited me now just before we started the show to come up and go deer hunting up there. And if anybody knows about deer hunting, the whitetail bucks in Saskatchewan are like world renowned for their size. So this podcast is well worth it just for that. Yeah, 25% of our audience is really excited about that. And about 75% is uh, like, okay, we don't, we don't care about. Wait, are you saying I'm, I'm talking about meaningless things? No, you never talk about meaningless things. I'm saying that you may have been addressing a minority of people that care. Look, I'm just trying to broaden our Canadian audience here. We've, we, you know, we're big in Australia, but I want to get big in Canada. So we, <laughs> I want Canada to eclipse the 15 listeners in Australia. <laughs> I think we can do that. Uh, Kevin Vance, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, one of our solutions to the double Kevin problem is that we're just going to call Kevin Shelby, K Shelbs today, and you'll be Kevin. Okay. How does that sound? I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm. I recognize my uh, my humble estate here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we really doing that? I, I thought that we were kidding about that. No, 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 no. I think everybody wants for you to be called K Shelbs. Okay. All right. <laughs> Just throw do whatever you want. Throw Doctor K Shelbs in there, and then Doctor K Shelbs. What about Dr. K? Dr. K, that's fine too, you know, or, or we'll just, uh, you know, just call me Shelby and that'll make it easier. Okay. Um, we can do that. Whatever so you put, want. This is, this is for you today. K Shelves. We still don't know what I'm called, but apparently you just made the decision. So let's roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're so glad you're here. Would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of what, what you do, what you've done in the past, and uh, we just want to get to know you a little bit. Sure. Um, so my name's Kevin Vance. I'm Canadian citizen, lived here all my life, and I grew up uh, in, in the church. I was baptized when I was nine. Started going to church nine months before I was born. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to Western Christian College for, uh, for a Bible degree, and then I got my master's at Canadian Theological Seminary. Married to Lisa um, 
32 years and we have three kids and um, we're, um, yeah, life's going well. We're, we're enjoying a, a good season of our, of our marriage and of, of ministry. Career-wise, I have spent most of my life, all of my life in, in some form of ministry. Uh, the first few um, seasons were times at churches as, as a minister and then a youth minister. Then I worked at Western Christian College as an academic dean for three years and then the president of the school for six. And after that, 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago, July 1st here, exactly, I started full-time at Gentle Road Church of Christ. So that's a church plant in the inner city of Regina, Saskatchewan. Yeah. yeah. Quick I, I remember that transition for you, and mm -hmm. which was exciting because we were church planning in Vancouver and you guys mm -hmm. launched into that. Talk a little bit about Gentle Road Church and, and just kind of the, the vibe of it. You know, what, what is it mm -hmm. like? Well, we live in Regina, so it's a city of just over 200,000 people. Uh, we moved into the inner city to plant Gentle Road uh, 10 years ago, and it is, so it's an inner city church. It's a lot of indigenous uh, people and um, a lot of outreach to children and youth. Um, a lot of the youth struggle with depression and addictions and suicide. And, uh, and yeah, the community just has kind of typical inner city uh, context of drugs and alcohol and addictions and crime and prostitution and um, homelessness, fatherlessness. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about uh, General Road. So Kevin, it was a couple of months ago, maybe, uh, I saw a post that you had, had written about depression and mm -hmm. that, that you were wanting to, to share about that and you wanted to invite other people who have experienced that into more dialogue and, and to support. Mm -hmm. So you've been in leadership, you, uh, mm -hmm. president of a college, leadership in church, and have you, have you been upfront about depression all that time or has it been something that you've wrestled with kind of on your own as part of your story? That's a good question. I would say that I have shared it fairly openly through the through the years, maybe more so recently, just because um, it's becoming more well, it's more socially acceptable to do to to talk about your mental health struggles. But also, in Canada, we have a thing. I think it was in January, Paul, that I posted that because it was on Bell. Let's talk. Uh, day, which is a day, Bell is a large corporation here in Canada, so they sponsor this day for conversations about mental health, so people like Howie Mandel, the famous comedian, uh, talks about his OCD and different things like that, so so the last, I would say, five years, this Bell Let's Talk Day has really gained traction, and more and more people are sharing different struggles they have with mental health, so that was the context that kind of spurred me to post that that day, and part of my sharing is is that a lot of Christians we sort of have this divide between a fair number of Christian people feel that uh, depression is not something that if you're a true Christian you know if you really trust the Lord you you won't have a struggle with it and I just think that's baloney and so I'm trying to help people have I think what what I think is a healthier perspective on on this depression specifically is one I can speak to but but all forms of mental health Mm. Uh, challenges that people have to try and kind of break down the the stereotypes and the 
I guess, divide between mental health treatment on one side and um, the Christian, tra traditional Christian teaching, I'll just call it that for, for a shorthand, uh, to break down that divide and so that we can bring those two things together in a healthy way. Can you remember the first times in your life when you started to feel depressed? I, I don't know that I had the language for it uh, or, or the experience that I could kind of label it that. And uh, by the way, I was never clinically diagnosed. It's just kind of my, you know, I, I looked it up on WebMD and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of the signs and symptoms and uh, enough to say that um, it, it definitely was depression. And um, I started taking medication, which I'll talk about in a minute, but um, that really made a big difference in terms of my turning the corner. And and even now today, so I've been taking medication for 10 years. When I, if I miss one day, it's like the next day, it, my wife will often be like, did, did you take your meds? And so, um, yeah. It was this, so that was 10 years ago when you started mm -hmm. medication. Had mm -hmm. you been living through bouts of depression up until that time? Yeah, I would say, so probably from... I can't remember exactly the start of it, but maybe 2005, 2006 through 2011, when I started taking antidepressants. Um, so yeah, probably around five years-ish that I had bouts of, of, of depression, I would say for sure. Mm -hmm. So Kevin, can you maybe go through and talk about your story? Just kind of give us the big picture overview of you know, some of the origins of your depression and how that kind of moved into your married life and professional life. We'd, we'd love to hear that story. And I think that that others would would really appreciate it, too. Yeah. So when, in 2004, I became the president of Western Christian College, which is a small Bible college and high school here in Canada. In that role, we had just the school had just moved to um, to Regina, where where we are now and had bought a big campus, much bigger than what uh, we needed for enrollment. And so we, we had constant financial challenges, um, you know, struggled to pay the bills, struggled to pay, make payroll every month, and a lot of fundraising, um, a very high amount of fundraising relative to our enrollment. And so kind of the short story now was I leaned into that pretty heavily in order to try and make it all work. And I thought, well, you know, when our enrollment grows and we fill up the campus more, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it's not good stewardship now, but it will become good stewardship in that time. Well, over the, over the six years that I worked at this, in that role, the enrollment actually, well, went up for a while and then it started going down and there was a trending a market, market downward trend. And so I was traveling all the time uh, or a lot of the time I was, uh, feeling this huge weight of, you know, we had, we actually had 30, 35 employees. So, you know, it was my job to make sure we had enough money to make payroll every month. And uh, one year at Christmas, it was December and we were in danger of not making payroll. And I, I had an anxiety attack, which I, at the time I thought was, was a heart attack. So we called the ambulance and they came and went to the hospital. And that's when I found out I had a bicuspid aortic valve which is a whole nother story but anyways 
Um, but you know, the thought of not making payroll at Christmas for our staff was terrible in my my mind, and I couldn't I couldn't bear. So um, you know, I, we just had constant financial pressure, uh, constant um, challenges that were they were pretty pretty large and overwhelming. Yeah. So you were you're carrying that at work, and that pressure mm-hmm. probably felt like it was building on you. What was that like at home? Did your wife notice a change in you? What, how were you kind of letting off steam from all the pressure? I had a reasonable prayer life. I had a, um, I, I ran, uh, and so those were good outlets. But at home, it was really tough to be present. It was tough to turn off my mind, turn off the, the work demands. Um, and have good boundaries around that. Um, and I worked too much for sure. And so I would say my wife, I don't, I don't know, it's hard to say if she noticed a marked difference, but she she definitely noticed changes over the over the years, I would say. Were there the were the conversations come up and and what did that feel like uh, as far as how to manage that stress? Yeah, for sure. Conversations came up. Um, I guess like I was sharing a minute ago, I think that we we believed or I believed that it would get better, that things would change once enrollment grew. And that that was just kind of a, a you know, field goal uh, post that kept moving. <laughs> you know, the finish line never, never came. And so uh, eventually I made the decision, well, we made a decision that we needed to make changes and God was calling us into church planting, but, um, but it was a big part of it was my soul was, my soul was dying and my marriage was dying and, and um, I didn't really understand all that was happening emotionally, but um, yeah, I didn't realize how broken I was till I left my job and, and uh, I took six months off to try and recharge the battery, but that didn't really do anything because my emotional system was broken. So then I took another six months and it was in that time when a good friend of mine recommended I try antidepressants and because it had made a big difference for him. And so that's what I did. And uh, that was really a huge part of the turning, turning the corner for me. So Kevin, what was going on after you you know, kind of came to a realization that I can't keep trying to push this train forward. It's too heavy and it's leaving me in shambles, as you said. What, what was going on following resigning and, and you starting to wrestle internally that brought you to a place of thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to need some more help here. What, what were you wrestling with that started bringing that to light? So there were two things, I think, or two kind of tracks. One was, like I said, my emotional system was broken. So I would have uh, bouts of, um, not bouts, but incidents of like volcanic anger, I would say, not physical anger towards my wife, but um, I would just instantly be, be angry um, and we'd have huge verbal fights. Um, and often, often it was like silent treatment for a long time, you know, sort of thing. Um, but I would just react, I mean, overreact, you know, shoot a mosquito with a shotgun kind of thing. Um, 
so my anger was way out of proportion to to you know things that were happening and then um i also was feeling um i wasn't my emotional system was broken so when i like we went one time to my, my wife and i went with friends to a um a passion play it was just incredible and um in this natural theater outside in, in Drumheller, Alberta. And at the end of it, my wife was, uh, this was a couple of years before I left the school, but my wife was just crying because it touched her so much. And I just walked out of there. I, did, I didn't really feel anything. And so I would, so that just kind of indicated to me that uh, as I look back, and I didn't have that insight at the time, that indicated to me that my emotional system wasn't working. I wasn't feeling, I'd be with my kids, you know, hang out with them, but I wouldn't feel joy. I would pray to God, but I didn't feel intimacy with him. I would, you know, my wife and I would make love, but I would, I wouldn't feel close to her. So there's just this huge emotional. So that was one track. The other track was, um, I was struggling with pornography in a big way. And that was, that was, I was trying to medicate or regulate my, my, a mood bath. You know, I was trying to make myself feel better. And um, so that was, that was a huge part of our brokenness as I left that, I left that role was like, that's what I was saying when I said my soul was dying and my marriage was dying, that had to get fixed and it wasn't getting fixed just by taking six months off. Kevin, when you talk about your emotional state and just this lack of being able to engage with emotions, I'm wondering for, for people that are, have been going through something or maybe they're, they're undiagnosed, you know, whether they've done self-diagnosis or not. Um, is that one of the signs that there's something going on that the sense of not being able to feel deeply? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the things that maybe used to give you joy or should give you joy when um, you don't feel that uh, or that connection with people, that intimacy with God, um, you know, intimacy with with my wife um with with your kids um you know powerful moving theatrical productions of the passion of christ and not feeling a thing just walking out and looking over my wife's just bawling you know so yeah absolutely that is a huge that that uh, what i would say paul is that the when i explain it to people is like an elastic band this might have come from archibald hart's book uh the one book I would recommend for men uh, is Unmasking Male Depression by Archibald Hart. Um, he's a Christian psychologist and does a good job, I think, of bringing together the Christian perspective with the, with the medical or mental health perspective. But um, so the way I describe it is it's like an elastic. Our emotional state is like an elastic. And so you stretch it. And you know you have times of stress, and then it goes back to normal. And so an elastic has elasticity to it. But if you took that elastic and set it on a chair, like stretched it out on a chair in the sun for a year, uh, and come back, you know it probably would crumble uh, if it was still even holding on, because uh, part of one of the causes of depression is is uh, ongoing continued stress. And so a, a body and an emotional system that has weight on it constantly is like stretching that elastic and holding it tight in the sun for a year. So then it doesn't work anymore. So that's kind of how I describe it. And, uh, and so when I say that, yeah, you don't feel, or I didn't feel connected to my wife, to my kids, to, to the Lord, it's just, it's just like this 
you're there, you're an empty shell, but you're not, you're not connecting with people in your life and with the Lord. And so, yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're touching on something that I really want to highlight here. And that is you're finding yourself in a season of struggling and things are, are kind of coming to a head for you. Um, you've got this, this pornography issue running in the background and then, you know, but, but it's really medicating this deeper sense of disconnection. And can you talk about that? What was, what was it like for you? Was, was there anybody that was aware just how much you were struggling and that was aware of what you were dealing with, with pornography? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There, there were, my, my wife was one. Um, and that was really difficult for her. Um, I had a few friends that I shared it with. Um, and yeah, so there were definitely people in my life that knew about it. And how important was that a, as a lifeline for you, to, you know, as you were looking for ways to, to start to deal with this? Uh, that was, that was really important. My wife was, had a, had, a, I mean, it was very difficult for her, but she was also very loving and supportive, even though it hurt her deeply. So that was really a bedrock in my life. Um, and through her, God was able to show me a lot of grace. Um, but also I had another friend, actually Todd Vogt, who's Mission Alive uh, executive director, who uh, knew about it and walked with me, loved me, you know, helped me through that. And, uh, and I shared it with, um, you know, the Mission Alive, uh, you know, the assessment team when they assessed us for church planting. Um, and honestly, it was interesting looking back because we, we did an interview, Lisa and I did an interview, my wife yesterday for a different podcast. And we were reflecting back on the last 10 years. And when we started 10 years ago, uh, we were not on the same page in lots and lots of ways. Um, and so thankfully, uh, 10 years later, you know, God has, has worked out a lot of those things in my life and the, and in our lives brought us much closer together in terms of mission and, and unity and harmony and being on the same page. So one thing I want to say though, is that part of my story that I think is really encouraging for me and I want to share with the, with the, with the listeners is so while I was going through this struggle uh, at Western Christian we started this little kids club in the inner city in 2008 and it was like six kids like grade three and four but uh, after a year we had 25 kids and we moved it to a uh, elementary school and then at the end of the second year we had two we had 84 kids so while my my experience at Western Christian was like on a down like a, a downward trend both like enrollment-wise finances and my own personal spiritual life, um, there was this other thing happening that was going like upwards. And, um, and God was preparing me to make a career change and go into church planning, but also to do something that would basically save my soul. You know, so before I even, well, not before I knew there was a problem, but before I was really ready to address the problem, God was working to provide people like I didn't meet Todd Vogt till 2009. So this was really late in the story. Um, so, you know, God is working to bring people into our lives before we are ready to address problems. 
and sometimes before we even know there's a problem in order to bring healing and hope into our lives. And so I, I think that's really huge. Like the providence of God is about, um, you know, seeing ahead of time and providing for us and protecting us and guiding us into deeper journey of obedience, but also of, of joy and, you know, the abundant life. So um, if, if you're in a place right now where you're stuck, you're, you're like, you can't break, you know, through depression or addiction or pornography or whatever, like definitely God, God uh, will bring you to a different place and it's not going to happen overnight, but in time, it, there is absolutely hope. Kevin, I, we were talking with somebody recently and sharing the Genesis story. Um, actually, Jill Dasher, who's just written a, a great book and how in the midst of Adam and Eve disobeying and then hiding, God is actually still coming to look for them, saying, where are you? And I think in your, in your story, there's a sense too, I hear God pursuing you in that moment and bringing people into your life. And your wife was already there with you uh, helping and but then bringing Todd and others into your life and I think that's beautiful and that it it still paints this picture of a God that when we're in those moments is not giving up on us is not just heaping shame and disappointment on us but is actively looking for us and it's actually an opportunity for the work that he seems to really want to do in our lives do, do you feel like now looking back on it that you see, do you see things clearly like how he orchestrated those moments to bring you to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, starting that kids club, I mean, I was the president of a Christian school and I didn't really have time for another commitment every week. And so at the beginning, it was just kind of like, it was just another obligation, you know, but God worked through that in a powerful way. And then uh, meeting Todd and just the different things God oversaw to um to bring that change about was was awesome i think uh, archbishop desmond tutu uh, from south africa he uses the term god pressure that when the night before um the big march that that he called to to march against apartheid he felt what he called god pressure like a physical pressure on his body that he should do that and he says in one of his books that he he, he normally wouldn't make a call like that by himself as an individual. He would normally do it collectively with others, but he felt like God was, was like saying to him, you need to do this. And boom, there's like, I don't, he didn't say a hand on his shoulder, but kind of like that maybe is like a physical pressure that this is something God wants you to do. And um, so I, I like that language. I think it's, I haven't, it's not like I experience it every day or anything, but, but definitely there's been moments in my life where, you know, God is saying, Hey, you need to go this way. And, um, and he'll put his hand on my shoulder and say, okay, Kev, like you're over here. You need to be over there. And, uh, I'll point you and say, and put, give you a little nudge, you know, <laughs> man, that's so awesome. You know, and I, I'm interested because like, I think that this is true for most of us that we we have fewer of the experiences where it's just clearly God pushing us into something and we feel really spirit-led and more of the experiences where we feel stuck in between where God is pushing us into things but we also are telling ourselves you know I, I can't do this I'm not worthy of this you know look at what I'm struggling with and I'm interested in this 
darker season that you were going through, what kind of messages were you telling yourself that might've, you know, been holding you back or pushing you back from, from being able to, to live into some of these things God was putting before you? I had uh, a lot of shame and, and guilt. I knew that pornography was wrong and I, I just couldn't seem to stop. It was crazy. Like I was like, what's wrong with me? Like I knew something was wrong. That's one thing I would verbalize to myself is like, what's wrong? Why, why can't I stop this? And not realizing at the time that the, the pressure and the stress that I was under and, and some of the self-talk that I, I, I had going in my head about my job and my life and my value were um, those things were, were the underlying problem. What kind of messages were you hearing about just the school and the need to save it and perform there and all of that that you were really wrestling with? I would say a lot of it was just my own head. Um, it wasn't so much what other people said, although I think some of our board members maybe had expectations and stuff like that, but, but it was mostly my own self-talk that said, you know, like, I have to do this to save the school. Um, so, so there was some of that, but a lot of it was just my own hero status, trying to be a hero. And, um, it's, and my, my childhood story played into that, you know, God, or not God, but my, my dad, I just grew up with a lot of criticism. So I, I grew up with believing that I was me. I was significant when I achieved and when I performed well or perfectly and no one could say anything you know, critical about me. And that's where I drew my meaning from. So it was kind of a self-identity crisis at the same time. What were some of the things that led you out of that really dark period and into like mm. starting to deal with the pornography addiction and starting to deal with picking up the pieces of brokenness that you were experiencing and moving into this different season of life. We knew that we wanted to, well, we, we knew that God wanted us to plant churches. So we really leaned into our relationship with Mission Alive. And so part of it was the encouragement and friendship of Todd Vogt. Um, and then he became my church planting coach. So that was a great um, kind of dovetailing of, of things. So his love and encouragement and coaching, um, because that did become part of our conversation, you know, it was coming out of the depression and the pornography and that. Um, so that was one piece. And then in the winter of, I'd say about March of 2011, so this would be nine months into my, you know, one year off when I left Western, um, a good friend of mine said, hey, why don't you, actually, I engaged my a good friend of mine who's a spiritual director, and he helped me with this conversation, and he said, you know, this was something that I've tried, and it really helped me, and so I want to suggest you consider it, so I, I did, and I, so in, I think it was in April or so, I started taking um, antidepressants, and got a prescription from my doctor, and and um, I've been on the same one for 10 years. And uh, that really started to, you know, within a month, I felt things changing substantially. I started connecting more with the people around me. My anger was much more under control, although it wasn't perfect by any means. 
I was starting to feel hope again and I was starting to come out of that darkness. So it was sort of like, yeah, that, that was, that was a big piece. Kevin, whenever the idea came up from your friend that you might go and, and try to seek help and potentially medication, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, the stigma against that in some Christian circles, did you have any hesitation about that or were you just ready to, ready to try it? Well, I watched uh, some videos from a Christian medical doctor who, who has done a lot of work with uh, de depressed people and mental illness and, and all from a Christian and medical point of view. So he, he was the one that said, you know, like if you, if you have, his analogy was like, if you have bad eyesight, you get glasses and a lot of Christians wear glasses. So that doesn't mean they're bad Christians. It doesn't mean they don't trust the Lord. It just is part of you know, and as we get older, like various changes happen in our body, like, oh, shoot, what's the thing that produces insulin in your body, your pancreas, you know, a lot of people's pancreas starts wearing out. So, I mean, to say that if you really trust the Lord, your, your physical and emotional life will, will, you won't have any problems is really, is really a, well, first of all, it's bad theology. And secondly, it's, it's bad medical view of it's not an appropriate medical approach, I would say. So that, that helped me. Uh, I didn't have a lot of stigma. I just didn't know a lot about it. And, you know, I read Archibald Hart's book. And so, um, so he recommended medication if, you know, a doctor recommended it for you. And so I had voices that were kind of all speaking the similar thing into my life. Uh, Kay Shelbs, from a clinical standpoint, have you run into this issue where there are people that it would be helpful for them to uh, either receive therapy or receive, uh, have some medication for depression or anxiety, but there's that hesitancy. Have you had to face that sort of hesitation as well? Every day. Yeah, I think it's a pretty common thing for people to to struggle with needing to, to be on medication for something like depression or anxiety because it feels to most people like it's a matter of the will, you know, and a matter of faith. If I could just believe enough in God, then I wouldn't feel so bad. If I trusted him enough, then I wouldn't be sad or I wouldn't be worried. And I think that's just really bad theology because I think we're, we're missing the mark of what, um, really what, what it looks like to struggle and to have things available to us to help us with those struggles does not mean that we have a lack of faith. And, um, and what's interesting too is untreated depression, untreated anxiety, even untreated ADHD will cause people to be far more likely to experience substance abuse, pornography, addiction, they'll have higher risk behaviors. They'll actually experience more health difficulties. So research shows all of these things that can, that can really be problematic for people when, they're, when their mental health issues are undiagnosed or untreated. And yet the church is speaking something against that often that creates a real quandary for us. And I think the church needs to really reevaluate its message about treating mental health issues because um, 
when we are, when we're sending the messages that we've been sending, it causes people to hide in the shadows and find themselves in periods of feeling like they're in shambles and not knowing what to do. And like the only answer that the church has is we'll have more faith or believe more in God. And I don't think that's a very compassionate, loving, or um, God-honoring response to those people. So yes, it has some significant ramifications for people. So let me let me be devil's advocate just for a moment um, and have both Kevins, if, if you want to respond. You know, there there's a sense in which uh, Jesus says he's come so that we can have life and have it abundantly. Um, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, uh, and joy being the, maybe the highlighted one. So if I'm, if I'm not feeling I have an abundant life and I'm not feeling joy, but I'm a follower of Jesus, what's the disconnect there? Why, why is that the case? Uh, let me see what Kevin Vance has and then shelves well i think that we we until we get to heaven we're not going to have a perfect life of faith and joy and obedience and trust it's just you know theologically it's part of the brokenness the sin of this world it's part of death it's part of the curse you know and until we get to heaven it's it ain't going to be perfect so let's let's Get the glasses, you know, let's get the antidepressant, let's uh, anti-anxiety, whatever we need. Um, the, the medical, the medicine can help us with until we get to the other side. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I would say, you know, there's even scriptural evidence of treating ailments that don't conflict with faith. You know, um, Paul instructs Timothy to drink a little wine to help him with his stomach issues. You know, and and so this is an apostle speaking to, you know, a, a man who's a leader in the church and very well known in the in the community of the time. Um, and he's not saying to him, look, you just need to pray more about this, about your physical ailment. You must not have enough faith yet. He's saying, hey, take what's available to you to, to calm this. And so I think there's a reasonable level of recognizing that that. Yes, there are things that God is going to intervene with, but there's some things in the natural world that he doesn't. And he's given us what's available to us, and he's given us the minds to create things like medications that help with depression and anxiety. He has shown us that we have the capacity to also do some really amazing things. And I think all of it comes from him. You know, I think the fact that there is a medication that can help somebody who's dealing with depression at the level of they, they want to take their own life and they can, they can begin taking this medicine and it actually changes the course and direction of where they're headed to where they can go and, um, and maybe they're available to do ministry that they wouldn't have been before. That's a miracle, you know, and it doesn't have to mean that it just comes from the fingertips of God from the heavens and zaps them better, right? What I think it means is that, you know, God give us, gives us ways to experience miracles, you know, both on the, in the physical world that we exist in and by spiritual means. And it's a little short-sighted to say it can only come through one of those avenues. And that's coming from, I think, Kevin K. Shelbs and I have talked about this before, at least personally, we've talked about it, but we believe God 
still heals people sometimes in in ways that are beyond explanation and and can and, and does that but then there's a lot of times when uh we're praying for years and and things are still there and so we there's not a simplistic answer to god's activity when we're dealing with health or mental illness or, or something like that and so we have to incorporate we have to think about this in a more robust sort of way i think kevin vance when when we think about especially over the past year and a half there are leaders that have reached stress points there are leaders that have uh, in, in a church context been hearing more and more about leaders have uh, leaving ministry because they're they're done they're burnt out um and i'm wondering what you would say to them if they may be struggling with some form of depression well first of all i i think it, it always not always but it often hurts me when when people leave the ministry um and especially if they leave in a in a, in the midst of a depression uh, part of what i've always tried to do is when you leave a ministry leave leave at a good time like leave at a time when you feel called by god to leave not just as a reaction to you know i'm going through hard times or um i'm struggling right now um i, I think that it, it's a, it would be a shame to make major life decisions in the midst of you know the darkness of depression when uh, when there's some help and there's some answers out there you know it can be counseling therapy can be medications can be change of career it can be a lot of things so i guess you know for as an extreme example to compare it to you know leaving my wife not that it's always like that but you know to leave my wife in the middle of a depression because i'm not feeling joy or connection or you know intimacy in my marriage is was, would be a foolish decision and so I'm not saying that leaving ministry is always a foolish decision, but I'm, I do think that leaving it in the midst of a depressive situation, you know, would be would be sad and unfortunate. And, you know, we just need more people in ministry for one thing. And there is healing, there is hope. And so I would just encourage whoever might be struggling with with depression to reach out and, you know, get help, whether it's, uh, you know, coming to the church leaders that you trust or, counseling um you know a coach a spiritual director there's there's a lot of options now and uh and then of course with technology we can basically have a coach or a counselor or a, a spiritual director anywhere in the world so that's pretty exciting we've discussed um with people before my wife and i actually how you don't want to make major life decisions right in the middle of a crisis and i hear you you saying that as well and um at the same time, I'm thinking about how, especially for those that are in a leadership position, to open up to people about what you're going through in a way that uh, you're going to be able to find a safe place to to deal with your depression and uh, the ways you're medicating that. That can be a, a difficult road uh, to walk as well. Okay, Shelbs, what do you think about just those leaders that are like, Hey, I I'm holding on. I'm, I I'm done. And, and again, this podcast is not just for leaders, but I'm, I'm thinking of this common situation that I'm hearing about uh, in that category of people. So they, maybe they don't want to make this big transition or, or quit right in the midst of this crisis that they're going through, 
but they don't know how to get the help they need. They need. Where do they turn, Kshelds? Well, I I think that it starts with recognizing that you're not trapped, right? I think that that's one of the things that makes us um, deal with. It kind of ramps us up internally with anxiety and 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 sometimes just kind of giving up, not not feeling like we have much of a choice, and one of the things that I really try to work with people who find themselves in those kind of situations on is to say, okay, you don't feel like you can leave, but you can leave, right? That, that it is an option. So let's not, let's not gridlock you in, and get you stuck so that it seems impossible to think clearly about your future and, and envision what's, what's possible because feeling stuck where you are is going to prevent you from even being able to see what could be different in the space that you're in. You just kind of feel like you're, you're with the hand that you're dealt. And I think the more we feel that, that sense of being trapped in that space, um, the worse we're going to do as far as our mental health is concerned. And so one of the things that I try to do is help people say, okay, let's, let's put, this idea that you are stuck where you are on the shelf. Let's just put that aside for now. And let's start to think about two different things. If you could do what you wanted to do, what would that look like? And what would it look like for your current situation to be life-giving and fulfilling? What would need to happen for, for those two things to be true? And as, as I've helped leaders walk through that, and that's not just leaders in Christian communities. I mean, I've done this with executives in, you know, big companies who feel stuck in their position. I've done it with um, just people in their marriage. But what, what are the things that you could do where you are now um, that, that would create the change that you're looking for? Essentially, what are the things that you're needing to be alleviated from? Sometimes that is, I've got too much on my plate. There's so much responsibility. Okay. Who can you talk to about that? You know, I think that bringing things from the bigger picture of like, this is what peace looks like for me in these situations down to some very actionable steps is really helpful for people who they feel because they feel trapped. It feels like a blur to them. They, they can see no path forward. And I think that's really defeating. I think that word trapped is really a good description for how a lot of people feel, whether it's in their ministry role, in their family situation that they don't know how to fix, uh, in, in their work environment that's just gotten worse and the pressure is building. And so this feeling of being trapped and you're saying we need to have more options than just feeling trapped. And I think one of the things I'm connecting to Kevin Vance's story is that you were Kevin in that situation, but you started, God brought people into your life that started to point out to you, Hey, the, uh, your executive coach Todd. And, and this is almost, this is very much a coaching conversation because a good coach opens you up to possibilities that you haven't been able to see before. And, and so saying, Hey, look at what God's doing over here. Look at this over here and it helping you. And again, it's it, part of what we're trying to say to people is there's times when we do not have the capacity to see those things on our own. 
there's a lot of times when we don't. There's times when God is urging us and speaking to us, and we don't have the capacity. We don't have the the will to to listen and say yes. And that's part of our need for each other. That's part of our need to not go it alone. And I'm in in this context. I especially see the value of someone that's going to ask those questions. That's just going to help open your horizon and just see things and see more options so that you don't feel stuck. Um, Kevin Vance, I know you've been a coach in church planning and it, what else do you want to say to people just to encourage them? I think that struggling is part of the brokenness of our world and, and the sin and it does often push us to be alone, like you were saying, but we're created for connection. And so we, God has much more for us. He has plans for us. He has people to bless us and encourage us. He surrounds us with, um, with those people and he leads us down a different path. And so it's, it's awesome when you can look back and you say and you can say like at first it it feels like a tiny bit of hope like a tiny bit of light shining into the darkness and then as that light grows and, and as you step into that light and follow it more and more it takes it just grows in your life and it becomes larger and be more beautiful and when when you can feel that you know god is shining on you and you are you are living your life for him and he is blessing you. Uh, there's no greater feeling than that. And so, um, like you said, that happens in, in community. It happens through connecting with other people and making that journey together. I love that, Kevin. Uh, I think that is both a word and a blessing at the same time. And I, I think that's really awesome. And it makes me think that, you know, just what you're highlighting today, and I think that we have wanted to continue to highlight is, for our listeners to remember that when you start to experience symptoms like pornography addiction or, or, or even, even smaller than that, just like the thrill of the waitress touching your hand and the desire, you know, starting to fantasize about, you know, what would it look like for me to pursue something there? And like, you kind of wake up from it after a minute and you're like, what was that? That came out of nowhere. Or, um, or even just like this sense that like, man, I'd really like to go drink more than I know I should right now. Or however it is that you find yourself subtly coping with things, these are symptoms. These are symptoms that are telling you something is going on. Just like getting a cough or, you know, starting to have watery eyes and sneezing or, or you start to feel nauseated, you know? We don't ignore those symptoms. We will immediately go and try to figure out what's going on because we want to avoid the pain of what's coming. But for some reason, we avoid these symptoms and the, they're symptoms of disconnection somewhere in our life. And our first action step needs to be to invite somebody in. And I think that's what I'm hearing in your story today, Kevin, is you know, invite people into that and let people speak into what's going on with you and and, and let them speak into giving you a different perspective because trying to work it out inside is, has obviously not been working, right? And you're not getting anywhere with that. And so bridging the gap from 
my the blurry vision that I have of my future to what someone else can see with what's going on with me is a tremendous way to bring somebody in to help you see a different path. So I really appreciate you highlighting that and sharing that and being vulnerable with your story today. It's been a huge encouragement to me. Well, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I, uh, it's been good to, to be with you, Paul, and see you again and to meet you, Kevin. And thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin Vance, for being with us. Uh, we, we appreciate you. We're honored to hear your story, as Kay Shelbs said. <laughs> Kay Shelbs, thank you for letting us call you Kay Shelbs today. And uh, we're, we are so grateful for all our uh, Canucks, our Canadian friends and listeners. And we, we bless you through the heat. We, we, we ask the Lord to bring in the normal cool air um, back into, <laughs> into your lives if you're on the West Coast. Paul, um, I, I do not trust your your blessings of weather. <laughs> I remember the last time you made statements about weather. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Are you going to tell this story? I'm going to tell it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we were we were skiing in Colorado and we needed to get back. It was it was time for us to leave, and they were saying that there was a storm coming. And Paul was in graduate school at the time, you know, studying all of these ancient Near Eastern, you know, religious practices and things like that. And so we're, we're, we're talking about it, about leaving the next day. And Paul wants to get back to see his girlfriend, Julie. And he's like, guys, we're going to leave tomorrow. It doesn't matter. We're like, well, Paul, you know, it might be kind of bad. There's, there's some ice and snow coming And He says, not even Baal could stop us. So Baal was the storm, is the storm god. And the next day, we there was it was the largest blizzard in a century that had hit Colorado. And we drove six hours all over the state of Colorado just to try and get out. And we couldn't find a way out. And so, Paul, there you go. <laughs> I was a much younger, less wise individual back then. Uh, so as in the case of the letter of Jude, I say the Lord rebuke the hot weather. Okay. So if you're a Bible scholar, you get there that you go. Um, all right. Well, that's all for today. We're, we're appreciative uh, for everyone that's listening. Please uh, subscribe, download, share, rate our podcast. And always we want you to know no matter what you're struggling with, you are not alone. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and that you're encouraged by Kevin's story. Please check out our podcast notes for helpful resources. You'll find an email address there where you can contact us about any topics that you'd be interested in, as well as if you have a story that you'd like to share. If Created for Connection has been helpful for you, please drop a review on whichever streaming service you're using and please share with your friends and anyone you think might appreciate these conversations. See you next time.